0: Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Will a team's overall record matter in the MVP race? Just how good are the pieces around Russ in OKC? Would Greg Popovich win 50 games coaching this year's Bulls? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Again today, as always, we have Coach Dave Dufour on the show to do our weekly podcast. So uh, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Awkward interaction to start. Hello, yes. how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, just talked to you last night, um, just like I pretty much talk to you every day. So yeah, still, still about doing about the same.
0: All right. Well, it's always great to you know talk to you and see you, even though the people who are listening just can't see us. Uh, maybe one day we'll post a little bit on the YouTube uh, channel where they can watch uh, watch our glorious talking heads. Yeah, especially when we do it in the morning
1: and, and we're, like, wearing glasses and our eyes are red and, you know, all of these things, so.
0: Yes, and our hair is uh, unkempt, or at least mine is. <clears throat> yeah, you have to have hair to have it be unkempt. Right, so. well, your beard is a little messy this morning. It is, it is. It's still a little, like, bedhead on, on my <laughs> yes. face. Uh, well, well, let's get into a little NBA to start with, as we should. Um, and we, I thought we'd start with the MVP race and where that stands and your thoughts uh, who do you have uh, to start with the NBA, with the MVP? Well, you know, I, I'm sticking with James
1: Harden. I, I think that your record does matter. And while what Russ is doing is incredible, um, James Harden is carrying the Rockets to, you know, they're right behind San Antonio for the two seed. They're they're a solid three seed. And that matters. Um, he, he's leading the league in assists, and he is, what, fourth in scoring, um, and, and this is not to diminish Russell Westbrook, but I just think that your record and as the MVP voting has shown historically, your seating does matter. Um, and Russ is doing some incredible stuff. I mean, he's still averaging a triple double despite uh, the other night where he had a zero assists, five turnover game and was ejected in Memphis. Um, he's
0: still, you know, he's still having an incredible season. Uh, I just I just tend to lean toward Harden. Did you watch uh, any of that Memphis game? I know we were covering the other game last night, but did you get a chance to see what was going on and what got up his butt so much? Um, so there was a shot clock violation that was called incorrectly. So no, I, I, not a shot clock violation.
1: Yeah, I think he was right about it. And, and, you know, I wonder if maybe Memphis had been been physical with him a little bit and he wasn't getting the calls that, that he normally does. Um, but he got two technicals back-to-back, which I always hate because it's like, okay, come on. It's it's sort of like if you get a parking ticket and then 10 minutes later you get a second parking ticket. How about you give him a chance to cool down before you throw that second tee unless he does something that's worth getting thrown out. And what I saw was, you know, he he said the call was BS and he did the, the arm wave and he was walking away when he got the second tee. And I, I just hate to see that because no one paid money to see those referees. Right. So,
0: well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to have to fire it right up there and watch it myself just to get, a real, get my mind's eye on it. Or maybe while we're talking, I could find it. But either way, um, you know, it's like it's a game in December. Uh, the referees blew a call. Like, you know, who cares? Now, that said, it, it kind of felt like this game was, you know, they weren't going to be able to beat the Memphis anyway, right? Well,
1: I don't think they were going to. But at the same time, you know, they are. So Oklahoma City and Memphis are neck and neck right now in the standings and Oklahoma City, like I understand Like these games do, they do matter. I know it, it feels like they don't because the playoffs are so far away, but the difference between being a six seed and a seven seed could be decided right now. Um, and Oklahoma city and Memphis are probably in that six, seven range. Um, I think Memphis has a little bit more potential to get the fifth seed than Oklahoma city does. But the, this game, it matters uh, in the head-to-head. I think that they're going to they're gonna be pretty close in the standings. So, you know, I understand. And, and as a matter of fact, like, to give Russ credit, he's kind of doing what we want players to do, where they care about winning every single game. Yeah. Russell Westbrook's not taking any rest nights. Russell Westbrook is going to play his 36-minute tonight. And, and, you know, this is sort of – you know, this is good Russ to me. Like, I, I know, like, bad Russ is the wild turnovers and, and the, you know, the forced shots and, and things like that. But, but good Russ is the competitiveness and the fire. And, and so, you know, I, I don't want him to tone that back. Now, let's, again, I think that the referee should have just, after you know, give him the first tee if you feel like he's out of line. But, yeah, allow a cooling off period, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, and absolutely. I'm looking at the stats right now to compare, like, I guess, who are the main, the usual suspects here are going to be Westbrook, Harden, and Durant, I imagine, uh, all in the West. Nobody, I I mean, I guess you got to throw LeBron in there as well, uh, and and just because he's always in there, but there's that fatigue. But let's just, you know, looking at these guys, um, you know, Russell Westbrook leads in virtually every. Stat and every advanced stat as well. I know that Harden has taken the lead on the assist level. Uh, Actually, Russ and James and James Harden have now are equal in the turnovers per game um, uh, issue. And although Harden plays a couple more minutes now, so it's actually Harden. I would suspect has a less uh, lower turnover percentage or lower turnover rate. Um, Now, if one thing that's interesting though is you look at the win shares. And win shares per forty eight, which mm-hmm. is supposedly supposed to like that's supposed to mitigate your teammates a little bit, right? Am I am I correct in assessing that? Yeah, it is. You know, and he's got the lowest one kind of by far. You know, his wind share per forty eight is is uh, is two seventeen compared to two seventy four for Harden and two eighty eight for Durant. Um, again, it, it, even though it's supposed to factor out like how good your teammates are or not, there's got to be some sort of thing there was, uh, involved. But that's still that's the one interesting thing that kind of popped my eye. But other than that, I know that the uh, Russ fans are going to certainly argue that like that should give it to him. But it sounds like you want to go for for team wins is going to decide it.
1: Well, you know, you bring up win shares, and in order to get win shares, you have to have wins. You know, I mean. That is that is a factor
0: in the equation. So, are, are you a monk in <laughs> yeah, another life? Yeah. That sounds much like a, it's a, that's a cone. In order yeah. to have wind shares, you must have wins.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah. So I mean, I think that the wins do matter. And uh, now again,
1: now this is where it is early. Um, Russ Russ is five or six games. I guess. Oh, excuse me. Not the Russ. The Thunder <laughs> are four games behind the Rockets in the, in the standings, but. But those are huge four games. I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to envision the Rockets falling back or Oklahoma City going on a tear and catching the Rockets. You know, I, I would guess that what we have right here where Golden State is one, San Antonio two, then followed by Houston, L.A., Utah, OKC, and Memphis. I think that top seven is going to be pretty static, except for maybe, you know, five through seven. Um I think that that's basically what we're going to have when the playoffs roll around. The eighth seed is going to be a wild card. um, And I wouldn't, like the Pelicans are now two games out of the eighth seed, if that tells you anything, given how they started. um, They're only two games out. So I I think that, I, I, I don't know, I just, I tend to lean toward team wins being important in the MVP race, which I know, I don't know, maybe we could talk about How the MVP award is not actually the most valuable player, but it's the best player on a good team or one of the best teams.
0: Yeah, which is what it is. This is what also just kind of frustrates me too, as well, because it's just it's a very vague notion of what it's supposed to be, and we've seen crimes in the past of just guys who should have gotten it. Uh, Although, again, what is it? We don't know what it is, and it's never really been defined. There could there very well just could be a statistic we could come up with that combines all this stuff and somehow picks it, so you don't have to deal with uh, with uh, any kind of emotional. Notion to it. I'll go, although I guess that's what sports is about. But uh, yeah, I, I would tend to, to side with the the wins kind of thing. I just feel like you know you're splitting hairs a bit with with the Russ versus Harden seasons, right? These are these are both historically fantastic years, and um, at some point it's like you got to put a value on something. And I suppose I would say, yeah, wins. Now again, do the Rockets have that much better of a team than the Thunder? Um, you know, I, I keep advocating for the Thunders players. I feel like they have, um, you know, good players. And they, more, more importantly, what I like is that they have – they built it well, right? Like these pieces as well as they're, – they're probably playing at almost close to maximum potential, would you say? Um, yeah, they are. But that's problematic to me. Um,
1: this is why I'm still an advocate of and, – and, and, you know, people jump on me for this. But I think Oklahoma City would be better well-served – To trade Russ and tank a little bit Um, that way because they actually have some good pieces around him but they need more than just Russ and right now that's all they've got like Oladipo is is a nice player he's having a really great season because of Russ Um, Adams is having another nice season after after really showing up during the playoffs last year uh, NS Cantor is arguably the sixth man of the year if you were giving out the award right now. He's probably the winner um, He's been he's been really good. I mean he's averaging 18 points a game off the bench.
0: Oh, wow uh, I don't think I even realized that. How yeah, many, how many rebounds
1: is he getting any? Oh, I don't I I don't know um, But they they have some nice pieces and, and this isn't an anti Russ thing. This is just Russ's timeline it, like he's 27 and um, He's about to sign a huge contract and they're going to be handcuffed with this team uh, for the next four years. And it's just not good enough. They're going to be a seven or eight seed or six or seven or eight seed and other teams are going to get better. And so it's just – it's tricky. Um, They're going to really have to nail the later later first and their second round draft picks every year and hope that they can turn themselves into San Antonio slightly north. You know, I I just – I just think it's tough for this team as currently constructed because Adams is getting that huge extension, Oladipo is going to be extended. This is going to be they're going to be locked into this con uh, to this roster, and um, you know I, I think you could get a huge haul uh, from a team like Boston for for Russell Westbrook, and I think you could really relaunch a you could have a quick rebuild and have the potential for a young star that you can lock in at a cheaper contract. And go forward from there. I I just think that's, I don't know. I mean, and maybe that's the, that's the, the NBA, new NBA media way of looking at things. Well, if you can't win a championship, you ought to tank. And,
0: and and that's not necessarily the right way to go either. So I don't know. It's tricky. Well, we interrupt this program to insert an editorial retraction, which is. And his candor is averaging thirteen point four points a game, hmm. uh, and per thirty six. If you want to make it that, it's actually you know twenty three point seven points a game per thirty six. But where did I get the eighteen? I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about voting or something.
1: Maybe I maybe I was. I don't know.
0: But um, you know, <laughs> I really thirteen and eighteen a game. Thirteen and six is no slouch in twenty minutes a game. Um, you know, he's not doing anything else pretty much across the board. But uh, no, I, I think the point is made that you know there there are. Good pieces. They have the productive big men off the bench. I like Steven Adams. He can really do a lot of things out there, and he's tough. I mean, he, those defensive plays he made down the stretch in the game that I broke down, um, you know, were as vital as anything that Russ did down the stretch, uh, without question. And um, so, and, and I would, and I argued, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, that you know Russ could have gone off and detonated like he did, and they would have lost because. Yeah. Adams saved three layups uh, literally layups that were just going to go in and he'd block them out of nowhere so uh, anyway the point being that um, uh, they have a good team around them so yeah so, th- so their maximum potential is 49 wins you know maybe like 50 barely maybe uh, a second round exit probably and they'll probably do that and that's, there's no shame in that right? That's, that's what you want you want to be able to play to your potential but you're right the way that this is playing out and the way that Russ plays You know, uh, it's interesting to see if, like, what would they do to keep him and then get to the title chance? They have to get another Durant. Is that what's that solution? Well, let's say that they would have cap space, which
1: I I don't have their cap sheet in front of me right now. Um, I guess I should have pulled it up, but I didn't know we would get to this point. Um, If let's say they get they, they have cap space. What big marquee landscape changing? Free agent is going to sign with Oklahoma City. I mean, it is the it is the Russell Westbrook show. Um, there's been a lot of murmurs that Durant left because he didn't want to play with Westbrook. Why would a guy like Blake Griffin, who... I, I mean, Blake Griffin is on the way down, so I don't know that OKC would want to sign him to a max deal during the offseason. And I don't know why he would turn down the five-year max from... The Clippers, but let's say Blake Griffin, because he comes up all the time. You know, he went to college there. Why would he sign in Oklahoma City? I I can't come up with the, you know, with the way that would happen. I mean, maybe you could get Paul Millsap because he's going to be 31, but Toronto is going to go after him, and Toronto is a is a good team that's up at the top of their conference. And and you know, like I think Paul Millsap goes there or goes to Boston rather than go into OKC. So. I just think that you have to develop from within. You have to hopefully nail the draft and and unfortunately, the later you get in the first round, the less likely you are to get a player that's going to contribute. I mean, this is just we the 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 facts are in on that. Right. We know. So, I, I don't know, man. It's 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 a tricky situation.
0: Yeah, they're in purgatory, pretty much, right? Where they're good and they can, you know, continue to sort of be good. And then when Russ starts to break down or gets old, then they're going to be, you know, problematic. But so what you're saying to me is it's almost like a style thing and a Russ thing where um, he's not a magnet. And then the way they run their offense, because, you know, let's just say Russ is playing in a system like, you know, Golden State. Well, I would think that people would still want to go there. Hence, that's why, ergo, ipso facto, you know, that's why Kevin Durant went. Because he saw that he knew that they already had the guy, the man. But the way they played, it would be easier for him to be able to blend in and and play that style. And obviously, it's worked out really well for him. So um, so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The way that they've, you know, the way that they play, the way that Russ plays... And the way they've allowed Russ or whoever, I mean, that's the question is, is, is Russ dictating the style? You know, is Donovan, and this is not Donovan's offense that we saw at Florida, what they're running.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I said this when Donovan got hired before the, the Durant's last season. And, you know, I was like, OK, so if you're hiring a coach with the, with the thought that he's going to keep Durant in town, Donovan is not the right guy. Like Donovan is not some offensive dynamo. He's a very good recruiter, and this is where like we could go into this. I mean, oftentimes a lot of college coaches, are, they're they're not necessarily great coaches, but they're great recruiters. Okay. So they're good at selling their program, and and usually if you have the fastest horses, you're gonna win the race. Like that's that's how basketball works. Like if you have good athletes and stuff like that, um, you're gonna you know, you're going to win more games. And so I, I was never impressed with Billy Donovan's offense in Florida, but this is nothing like even what he ran there. So, but the NBA and college are so co- completely different. I mean, there's so much more pick and roll in the NBA. And to be fair to Russ, when you've got a guy that is as elite in isolation
0: and in pick and roll as he is, I would run that 40% of the time too. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see a little movement beforehand. And we've, every once in a while, they uncork something where Russ brings the ball to the wing, passes it, and then comes around something. And it's a great shot. It's almost the point where I should do a breakdown on just those possessions. It will take me a while to dig them out to get like 12 really good, juicy ones. But, uh, it might be worth it just to sort of uh, you know prove a point there, uh, it, which is also the same point I make with the, like the late, the, uh, the Knicks triangle. Like the, when they run the triangle, they get really good shots, and that is a video I'm going to do unless someone else steals it from me, but I doubt it. Um, and and again, this actually circles around to something I, I thought just kind of grabbed me about you know you're talking about college coaches coming to the NBA, and I'm looking at the standings, and we mentioned you know we were talking earlier about the Wizards uh, you know making a big push, well what would you think what would chicago say if like the knicks break their playoff absence streak before the bulls do like the bulls don't make the playoffs again like can hoiberg is there any way i don't think Hoyberg even you know won't even finish you know he, he won't the, the exit interviews won't be done before he's done he's gone
1: yeah i don't think i mean i don't think hoiberg is a good coach at all um I think that he, what he did in college, again, this is, this is, I mean, we've seen this a lot in college football. You get a guy like Chip Kelly, he's a good recruiter and he runs a high, a high paced offense and, and and it works in college. And then you try to do it in NFL and you're, you're playing against the best athletes that play this sport. Well, this is the NBA. It's the same way. So, and, and then also you're, as a coach, you're not putting the team together. So, um, you would think that when when Gar Foreman and John Paxson hired Hoiberg, they would say, well, we're hiring you because we've been tired of our stagnant offense, which is actually a myth. Um, we're, we're tired of how our offense was, and we really want to open things up, and we want a more entertaining product and all this stuff. So here's Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, <laughs> Taj Gibson. I, like, I, just, I, I feel like Hoiberg, I don't think he's a good coach, but I also think he's gotten kind of – a raw deal as far as roster construction goes. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Cause he was good at, uh, at Iowa state. Um, it was Iowa state, right? I don't yep. know. I don't follow college basketball. Um, but, uh, I, I follow it enough. Like when these guys get hired, I'll go look at game tape. Cause I want to see what they did to see what they're going to bring with them. And there really just wasn't much that, that would work in the NBA that he did before. I mean, um, pace and space is, is great in theory, but if you don't have, If you don't have the guys to run it, you know Rajon Rondo's not not giving you much pace or space. Right, he's going to pound the ball until it runs out of air, and then he's going to you know make a he's going to force a pass with like four seconds left on the shot clock and hope that a guy can throw up a prayer and hit it. So, but I, I I'm with you. I think that I think Hoiberg is probably done. If they if they miss the playoffs, he's definitely done.
0: Well, I mean, but then, then the next question is is cuz you you're right. Like, what it, we I don't think we are surprised at what's going on. The way they constructed this roster, you know, uh, there might have been some optimists out there, but for the most part, I think we all felt like eh, this is going to be 500 or whatever. And 500, you know, probably doesn't make the playoffs necessarily. I mean, right now, the 8th seed is 500. It's actually the 7th. <laughs> the 6th, 7th, and 8th are 500. The 5th is just above. So, 500 probably gets you in just about, um, and that, and last year they didn't make it, and they were just barely above that. So, um, But I, I think it's disastrous what they've, you know, they were on the precipice. They felt like they had something going here to at least really compete for the Cavaliers. And, you know, if they don't make the playoffs two years in a row, that's, you know, last year was already the most disastrous result you could get. And then, again, this year, but again, but that also reflects on Paxton and Foreman, so... You know, have you ever seen a notion where they fire the GM? Yeah, you could fire the GMs and then and then keep the coach, I guess, right? Yeah, but then you're a lame
1: duck coach because the the new front office is always going to want to bring in their guy.
0: Yeah, have we Uh, ever seen the GM and the coach get fired at the same time? Yeah, we
1: have. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but um, you know, teams seem to favor front office stability over coaching staff stability, um, even though. The, the coaching, like, particularly in this instance, you know, the, the coach has nothing to do with the players that are there. Now, there have been failures that you can place solely on, on Hoyberg. I mean, is the coaching staff in charge of player development? I think so. And they have not developed anyone. I mean, Bobby Portis came into the league, and he's just – he's a fantastic athlete, and, you know, he, he seems to have range. But we've seen zero development. If anything, we, he actually looks way worse now because – we've seen him play and show all the warts that haven't gone away. So, um, you know, he, he's kind of – there have been player development failures and uh, things like that. So I, I don't know. I, 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 would love, I would love to see this come around because I never want to see anyone get fired and I want every team to be good. But the, the reality is um, that can't happen. So I, I just
0: – I don't know. I think Chicago could use some new voices all the way around. Okay. You know, and like Tony Snell is starting in Milwaukee almost out of necessity, but. You know he's not doing terribly I, that was my first instinct to say okay well how did he do after getting out of uh, Chicago you know he's not lighting it up he's not doing great so that that's not the best indication either I think it's a it's a tough situation and if I were Horberg I'd just be, be frustrated like they, they brought him in to do something and then they ended up stacking the roster in a way that he couldn't do what he would have wanted to do uh, but you're right a coach needs to deal with what he's got and uh, for whatever reason yeah and there just could be a way of the way you communicate it doesn't really work at this level as it does in college so a lot more control in college. I was just watching the, you know, the, the UCLA uh, Oregon game a little bit, and you can just kind of see when you watch Altman, he's like, he's got his hands on his players, and he's, you know, right in their ear, and they're like, you know, robots going yes or yes no whatever, and it's not how it works in the pros. And, um, you know, as a result, we got, a, you know, an, an average product, 500. And, uh, and it just is weird because, you know, the expectations were a lot higher. And that's the other issue where, uh, you know, expectations in the NBA, I guess, are a lot different than college as well. Um, and, uh, and, and there we are. So it's, it's an interesting let, thing.
1: Let me ask you this. Would Greg Popovich win 50 games with this Bulls team as constructed? Um. Now, Greg Popovich is the best coach in NBA history. Yeah. But would he win 50 games with this roster?
0: Uh, you know, probably not. Although you can argue that, you know, he's got the equivalent of Rondo, like in Parker now starting, um, and he's got the equivalent of Kawhi and, you know, in Jimmy Butler. And, you know, you know what? Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. so somehow the, the, the Spurs,
1: they're averaging the fewest number of threes per game, but they're hitting them at a high rate and they don't have anyone who jumps out as like a specialist, right? So they don't have a, a Joe Ingles. Um, well,
0: what Patty Mills isn't that guy, Patty Mills?
1: I mean, he, he's a 40% three point shooter, but I don't think he's a specialist. I actually think, I mean, he's, he's a good, we can talk about Patty Mills. I love that guy, but I, I think that pop would find a way to make this team win 50 games. Now, again, comparing anyone to Greg Popovich is like, that's impossible. So – but I think it would take Greg Popovich to get this team to, to 50 games. You, you need someone who's that good with players and, and not even X's and O's. I mean any – look, any monkey can learn X's and O's and draw up plays and figure that out. But it's figuring that out with the personnel that you have and then having the, the intelligence and the humility to be able to move away from things that aren't working. And find things that will work and that's what pop does like pop doesn't have like people like to They always like to point out the Spurs system. Well Spurs don't have a system This is why they've been so good what they do is they find guys that fit their culture And then they build their system to work
0: with those guys and and it just I guess I mean I would argue that to some degree because You know, certainly over the last, and I did a breakdown where I, you know, I broke down their offense over the last over their five championship seasons and how much it changed. Um, But you know, over the last five years, they've had motion weak, motion strong, like you know. But but I think what your point is is, and there are there are a lot of options out of that in the same way that Triangle has a lot of options. And what I think what you're saying, I can, or at least what I hear you saying, is that. They can pare down and get rid of like the options that they don't work that don't work so well for them, and add the ones that do. Because I mean, that's the point. The system that they have is that flexible, right? right. It has it has uh, concepts and principles, but it's flexible enough to say as you go through the season, okay, this ain't working. Don't throw it there when we get the ball there. Just go it to this one or that. You know, give you two options instead of the three. I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, they don't pigeonhole. They're they're not
1: they're not trying to take like David Lee. They don't have David Lee uh, freaking running uh, or spotting up in the corner, right? Like that's not his game, and he can't do it. But Paul Gasol can. So they have they've been making Paul Gasol shoot more threes, and and now Paul Gasol has been reticent to do that in in recent years. But if he wants to play for the Spurs, that's what he has to do. And so it's about finding these guys like finding their strengths and then tailoring how you fit them into your offense and your defense. Let's not forget, David Lee and David Lee is a perfect example of this because he's been the worst defender almost every single season he's been in the league, and not from lack of effort. Like He's just not good at defense. And this year, he's actually been pretty good. Um, we know he's a good facilitator on offense, but his defense has really surprised me, and it's because the Spurs employ a drop-back scheme, and they're not asking him to come out and blitz the, the ball handler on a pick-and-roll. And this this is good basketball for them, and it's good for him. So I, I just think that in Chicago, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to give Hoiberg a complete pass because of the personnel, but I understand. But at the same time, you got it's your job. You're getting paid millions of dollars to make this stuff work, and it's
0: just not working. Even though the, if the playoffs started today, they're the eighth seed. Right, I mean it's crazy. And by the way, like, and we were giving slander as opposed to the Spurs' defense to some to some degree, or how they were, you know, putting Kawhi on the island and attacking the other guys. But you know, they're third overall in defensive rating. They're first in their con- in their division. You know, twenty six and six. So. You know, uh, it, it, there is a level of nitpicking there. However, uh, what the, what you need to look at as far as the Spurs go is the crucible, and maybe the Bulls too, is the crucible of the playoffs and of the title chances. That's what they want. That's what they want to be judged on, and that's what's going to happen. So, you know, that, that's the other issue we have here when we're looking at all these teams, and OKC included as well, is that, you know, okay, that's great if you want to play Phoenix, you know, and if you play, um, you know, Orlando. Like, oh, yeah, you know, okay, I get it. Th- those are the teams you're going to do that against. But who can do it against the tough teams when it's a playoff series and they're ready for you? And that's what we're kind of trying to judge a lot of these teams on. Um, you know what I mean? I think that that sometimes gets glossed over.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's important to beat the bad teams. I think I think the sign of a, of a decent to good team is that you beat the bad teams. Oklahoma City's been doing that. Um, the The Bulls have not. Uh, the Knicks have started to do that. Like, I think the Knicks have actually turned a corner. Um, the Hawks have struggled to beat the bad teams. And and so like, that's one of those, to me, that's the easy eye test thing that you can do. Okay. Are, you know, is Oklahoma City going to beat the magic? If they played a seven game series, would Oklahoma City sweep the magic? Probably. They might give up a, a, a game. Um, are they gonna do are they gonna destroy the the Mavericks? Yes, probably. Like I look at that sort of thing. um and then you you know the beauty of this is now thirty games in the season. You can actually look, okay, are they are they winning ninety percent of their games against bad teams? Yeah, okay. now the ones that they're losing, is it like second night of a back to back or you know what I mean? You can look at the schedule. And so I don't think Oklahoma City is bad. and I actually thought they would be. I, I was very wrong about them. I, I thought they were gonna. Being like in that 10-11 range and and miss the playoffs, but Russ has really carried them, and so this is an argument, f- you know, for Russ's MVP. So, um, but they're beating bad teams, and and that's important because over like what a little almost half the league is bad, so you've got to win those games. Like if you want to make the playoffs, that's that's what you got to do. Um, Golden State, like so, that's an issue for them, right? Is getting up for these bad teams. The Lakers blew them out by twenty. Now, part of that might be they might have had a really high bar tab the night before. Yeah, you know it's LA taking it seriously. Um, but but if we're talking about nitpicking, you know what? I'll call myself out. Golden State is twenty eight and five. They beat the Raptors by like twelve the other night, and I walked away disappointed. Now, <laughs> right. you know, that's where we are, right? Like we we expect these really good teams to just blow everyone away, but it's not high school. These guys, these are the best players in the world. Right. But by
0: the, by the way, let me throw this out there. That first quarter of the Warriors-Raptors um, uh, Ra- game, I don't think I've ever seen an NBA team play better than that first quarter. Uh, they scored, like, what, 42 points? 42. They held, they held them to less than 20, I think, right? Something 17. Like, and uh, I've never, I, I honestly, and especially because the Raptors were the number one offense, I think, coming into that game, too, was... Uh, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it was that was a demolition. Um, it, it's been a long time. I can't really remember the last time I've seen that. So, so there's those those inklings where okay, when they really want to do and they got a chip on their shoulder uh, and and they want they want to sustain it, they can do it. Uh, and we've seen it. And that's what you got to be afraid of we you play them. Well, you know, right, so
1: we've been kind of critiquing coaches. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, how do you feel about
0: the job Kerr is doing this season? Uh, wins and losses aside. You know, I think it's, I think he's been, you know, I, I think it's fine. I, I think he's good. I think he's managing a lot of different things. And um, I, I don't really have too much of an issue. I mean, I know there's some rotational stuff. Um, and, and probably Iguodala might be sort of reliving old glory. It's not there anymore. Um, so the only thing I, 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 I could look at is maybe the rotations, which, you know, again, that's always the hardest thing, right? You, you're spending all this time trying to figure out, well, okay, who do I play with whom? So, um, but for the most part, yeah. And like when they lost to the Cavaliers, Uh, it was probably their first like playoff intensity atmosphere game with Kevin Durant really, um, you know, so it sounded like, you know, all right, they're going to probably have those issues where they kind of, you know, melt down a little bit down the stretch and they have to learn just like a young team has to learn how to do that. But, uh, overall I think he's been, he's been good. You know, uh, you know, I think the only thing I'd say is the lineup issues. What, what is your, what is your beef? Well, I, so I don't have a beef.
1: I, I I mean, I like Steve Curry. I think he's a a good coach, uh, good coach possibly a great coach. Um, the the thing is, I think he's having a hard time getting these guys to stay engaged. They get bored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, they were up 42, 17. And I think they were only, what were they up? 15 at the half or something like that. I mean, the game got really close after having a 25 point lead. And for a team this good, that, that just shouldn't happen. Now, this isn't the, the Raptors are a good basketball team, but they are a notch Way below. They're, they're
0: 12 points less, worse than the Warriors, right? At least, so, at least, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah. And so you you gotta you you really want to see Golden State close these games out in three quarters, and then you know they can have their guys resting in the fourth, um, like that. That worked really well for them last year, um, and the year before. So I just think that he's got to figure out a way to keep them engaged in the game. My idea. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm going to ask you. I would like to see him, when they've got a big lead in the first quarter, I would like to see him shake the rotation up a little bit and start the second quarter with like an all-bench unit. Just send out the young guys. Let them, let them fight and scrap a little bit. Um, just see what they can do while you've got the big lead. And then, because the one thing that, that these guys do is when they are on the bench, they are they are rooting for their their teammates, especially the young guys, Ian Clark and Patrick McCaw and Kevon Looney, like those guys, they are pulling hard for them from the bench. So, you know, maybe just from a like a spirit standpoint, get those guys in there with the big lead, let them go out there and fight, and then you have you're kind of sending a message to your guys, hey, look, if these guys who you know they, they watch you they watch you play thirty six minutes a night. If they can go out there and and maximize their time, well, why can't you? And and that's just maybe that's just me thinking about it from from a lower, um, I guess lower level of basketball. But that's something I would do. Is just let's see if these guys are willing to go out there and fight. I mean, especially like Ian Clark. That guy's gonna he wants to get paid this summer I hope and he and he should so he's gonna want to out there go out there and, and do his best and showcase he's not gonna loaf right um, you know Kevon looney wants more minutes I'm assuming and and you know like let these guys have a chance and it also the the other thing is it gets those guys more rest and more rest is not bad
0: yeah I, I mean I like the idea and, and for sure uh, he you know we he could do that Yeah. Uh, Uh, I don't know if that helps them learn how to like step on the opponent's throat and finally just end it but uh, it's certainly, you know, uh, I, and I see your perspective, you know, from managing, you know, egos and people on the bench and whatever. That's also part of it. doesn't seem like that's an issue there and everyone seems to know their role and why they're there. But, um, you know, yeah, without question, it's, it's something that Pop does very nicely and he gets all those guys a lot of minutes. And so if, you know, in the unlikely event you need them in a really important thing, well, they have experience to build from because they did get those minutes that they otherwise might not have. So, uh, you know, I'm in. It's a, it's a good idea. Um, yeah, you know. I, I just
1: I you know you've got to do something and, and so and the other thing is I think that Steph Curry needs the ball in his hands more and I think that you know like I don't know I haven't seen enough Steph Curry Kevin Durant pick and roll this season yeah and I really thought I would I would just get tired of seeing it because it would happen so often and, and I just haven't seen it enough so maybe that's something he's just kind of maybe that's something he's just kind of holding out for the playoffs or at least, you know, late season run. But, uh, Right. Yes, well, the problem sometimes.
0: with hiding that is that then you, you you haven't done it enough to be useful and uh, to be uh, used to it. Uh, but you know, Steph Curry's pick and rolls are way down this year, and, uh, and uh, as a as a little subtle hint to, uh, to a video that might be coming up soon, um, <laughs> that that is a problem. I think that yeah. When when uh, the the biggest issue I have with Curry uh, and the way he's playing, although they do is what he's averaging twenty four and whatever, yeah. and lightening it up, but um, is. Is that when you when he's off ball as much as he is now you can rough him up and the referees are really tolerating that which I'm not going to argue. I'm like, that's fine. That's the president. They're going to let him do it. But you can't rough him up when he has the ball like that. And that's the only way you can really protect him. And so um, if they want to, you know, get that mitigated and fixed or whatever, then, yeah, he's going to need to be more on the ball uh, and, and isoing and and uh, getting pick-and-rolls on top. Yeah, and the Kevin Durant um, pick-and-roll with Curry is, should be and would be lethal. Throw Clay Thompson in there, too, like it's a little pin down into the pick-and-roll. And, roll and um, you know that that would really be something and hopefully they start doing it. I gotta get I'm gonna break into their offense pretty quick and uh, and do a big what they running on them um, and we'll see what's going on in the more you know I'm gonna chart it a little better but uh, yeah there's definitely an absence there and uh, speaking of absence you know we, we have an absence of somebody in the uh, in the entertainment world recently that was very sad uh, did you what are your thoughts about Carrie Fisher dying
1: well I mean obviously it's I mean that's a it's a huge bummer, um, and you know we we're bringing this up because we both just saw Rogue One a few weeks ago, and we talked about it here on the podcast. And yeah, like it is unexpected. You you know she's sixty or she was sixty, so like you don't expect this anymore, which is, I guess, says something about like where we are as a society. Like we're we're living so long now that sixty feels like it's still so young, and I, and it really is. I mean. You know, I'll be 60 in 25 years. Uh, That feels like it's very close. So, yeah, like really, really sad. Um, And then her mother passed away the next day. I mean, it it really – and 2016 was kind of a rough year. And I think next year is just going to be worse because we – you know, if you think about it, TV and and media really kicked off like in the 50s, 60s. And so all of those people that are still around – are getting up there and then you know the 70s and 80s was really when like big time movies started happening and we started following these people and you know so I think it's only gonna get worse but yeah the, the Carrie Fisher I mean I was I was in basketball practice and and I got out and came home and my wife told me she was like oh hey Carrie Fisher passed away I was like
0: right I mean, yeah. it wasn't as, as much of a surprise in a way that I think the day before she'd had a, an issue on the plane and they didn't land and they whatever they did, uh, but I don't think she ever recovered from whatever that was in the plane, uh, and I, if, you're, if you're unaware of the relationship she had with her mom, it, it is almost poetic that her mom would die the next day uh, almost in the sense that, like you know, I don't want to be cynical, but like the mothers never seem to be able to handle the, the, the spotlight off of her. And so All I right. think Carrie Fisher would have probably written something really witty and funny and biting about how you know, her mom would have you know, died right, you know, after that you know, as well, which is just macabre but also fascinating. Uh, it, if you ever watched Postcards from the Edge, you ever, did you ever see that movie with Meryl Streep? Yeah. So that's Carrie Fisher's pretty much her life story with Debbie Reynolds uh, as, the, uh, as the mom. And so it, it was tr- a true story. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it's just kind of crazy. But I like what you said about the notion of the 70s. The 70s became a, the blockbuster era, right, when Jaws and Star Wars and all these movies came out. So, yes, all those people are, are becoming that age now where all people like us who grew up with those idols, you know, are, are probably going to get up there pretty quick. Um, it is crazy, uh, although as the technology evolves, perhaps it doesn't matter.
1: Well, let's hope. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all about... Being able to download myself into the matrix, like you know, let, let me, I'll, I'll let me, I'll take a cyborg body, just keep the brain, yeah, brain pumping, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm all about that. Uh, yeah, like and and well, you know, just to talk, touch on Carrie Fisher again, like obviously Star Wars is huge and, and everyone knows her as Princess Leia, but there, there there's like a few articles out there with a bunch of different things. Like she was just one of the most witty. And I just incredibly like funny people, the roast that she did of George Lucas, which is now you know probably everyone's seen it, is just hilarious. She has me dying um yeah it, it's it's super sad, it's such a bummer,
0: yeah it really yeah it is and uh, it, you know yeah it's she's Princess Leia I mean it's uh, it's a uh, it's an icon and it's weird it, just, it is weird to sort of you know process that although we already started to go through it a little bit with like Michael Jackson passing away was a big one but then, you know and then George Michael passed away That you know yeah. it, it's just really bizarre they all kind of come in threes so I guess it was George Michael Carrie Fisher I guess we'll count Debbie Reynolds Debbie right Reynolds? You know, yeah I guess uh, and then some comedian died who apparently was big I didn't really recognize his name but um, no he didn't hear about that uh, uh, you know you start seeing all those R.A.P.s on um, on Twitter. You start looking at them. But, um,
1: yeah, it was well, – really... I'm at the
0: point now with Twitter
1: where anytime I see someone's name trending, I
0: am assuming that that person died and it sucks. <laughs> right. Okay. That's that's uh, unfortunate, but yes. Um, and, you know, when you mentioned The Matrix, by the way, because I, I started talking about it on Twitter. I was watching it the other day. I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, you know, the, the best part about that movie, because someone said, you know, the – I kind of lamented that the second and third ones were just. It was kind of bummer. It's a bummer to watch the first one to, to realize what happened in the other two that weren't just weren't very good. And then someone said, you know, other than the opening thirty minutes of the first one, it's really just a very ho hum, normal, you know, action thriller movie. And um, I said, and that's kind of true. But, you know, in the context, it changes everything else in a way that, you know, irrevocably in in a much more powerful way. But I think the point of what they make is that you when you you're not the one until you're a either believe that you're the one or you're ready to be the one. And I think that that is really applicable to everything, especially basketball. Oh, yeah, dude. The alpha
1: dog mentality, which is like, you know, like such a huge thing. Um, Russell Westbrook is kind of that that guy right now in the league, like, I mean, he took that from, from Kobe, the, the guy who never remembers his last missed shot. Um, every, every player I coach, I tell them all the time, like they'll get frustrated when we're fixing mechanical stuff and they're missing shots. You know, I'm like, look, it'll come. I don't know how many millions of shots I've missed in my life. And I've for sure missed more than I've made. And I don't think about any of those misses, but I can I can recall quite a few of the big makes, and that so that is kind of like like what you're getting at, right? Like
0: well, kind of. Although to me okay. it's not alpha dog. To me, it's more like just the um, the peace of mind. Uh, of being in the moment and just being able to perform uh, whatever the, the, your role is on the team. Uh, you know, certainly like the Curry. And I use the Curry example a lot, of, maybe on the show too, where, you know, when you're watching Neo fighting the, the, um, the agent at the end and he's not even looking at him, he's just like blocking everything. He's looking at his hand being like, this is amazing. I am, I am the one. That expression on your face, you know, that, that to me is an ideal. And I know well, that Russell Westbrook's ideal is the opposite with smoke coming out of your ears and a, fr- and a big scowl. Um, but I don't know. Something about being, you know, uh, like the Luke Skywalker, uh, having the Force and having that, um, that sort of calmness with that energy, that to me seems the ideal. And, um, I, you know, if we could – you know, and I think what, what Steph had been doing with his training was to train his mind to get into that mode. Uh, and the question now is, is that, does it, can you sustain that? Has he been able to find that uh, in, more recently? And it doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't seem when he's out there that he has that, um, that, that, that energy.
1: Okay. So you mean more like being in the zone rather than the alpha dog?
0: Yeah. No, I, I okay. think it's in the zone. Um, All right. You know, Do you know about flow states? I don't. Is that when okay. you're floating in a uh, tank and- No. That's, so that's a float tank. But oh. flow
1: states, it's it's this idea that you 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 kind of get into this uh, this mode where things it, things really flow. Yes, um, like things are going well. Like Steph, creatively, right. Steph for last season was it was like a season long flow state. the thirty five footers, I mean, you know, like when he took that that game winner against okC, everyone knew it was going in. That's how much of a zone he was in, right? LeBron got that during the, the last few games of the finals, right? Like he was hitting every big shot. He, I mean, the, the Iguodala block was kind of the pinnacle of that. And so I think you can see it in short stretches. But why Curry was so incredible last year was because he literally did it for the 82 games. I mean, it was just – it was insane. I don't think people we – ha- we don't have the distance from it to really fully appreciate how amazing that season was last year that he had it was it was the, arguably the greatest individual offensive season in the history of the NBA right. i put it up there with the jordan 89 season um, where he averaged 36 a game just because of the the degree of difficulty first of all steph curry's 63 and his game like michael jordan is an attacking guard he goes to the free throw line a lot steph curry is a shooter um, and ball handler and 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 playmaker, and, and I just think that the degree of difficulty of what he was doing. I mean, he he had one of the best finishing uh, rates in the in the league last year, right? Like he may have led the league in, in field goal percentage at the basket. Yeah, uh, and he's doing it again this year. It, it just that guy last season, he was Neo.
0: Right. And by the way, you'd see like foul calls wouldn't bother him, you nope. know, a very very rarely. Like nothing really would bother him and shake him out of that zone because you and then but every once in a while and it happened even last year there would be a, a random game, maybe like 3 or 4 all year where you could just see he wasn't quite in the flow of that particular game. But almost almost never. And then but then Fall calls would bother him. And, you know, and listen, he might have gotten a bad night's sleep. The kids might have kept him up. That, that's all part of the game. And by the way, like that reminded me of the Draymond Green thing. So he, he kind of was way on edge. He just had a kid, right? So right. he's probably like sleep deprived and, and, and emotionally all over the place with that. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm sure Kerr would be like, yeah, that's probably what's going on too. But uh, the point being that, um, that that is also the thing. When you're in that zone, nothing really bothers you. And having seen how when you're already on edge and then the littlest things can cause you to react way above above what the normal reaction should be, and that's in life or in basketball, um, you know, you can see the value of trying to get to equilibrium as much as you can so that those things don't set you off when they shouldn't.
1: I think an interesting thing to look at would be to compare Curry's body language during the season last year, like during one of their big runs. To how it was after he slipped on the uh, the Monty Eunice sweat in the playoffs, because there was a distinct difference between those two players. Now, of course, part of that is is physical because of the injury. I mean, Steph Curry, if if that had happened during the regular season, he would have missed probably two months. Right. And so when he came back, he definitely wasn't right. Like, and people can argue whatever. It doesn't change the fact that Cleveland still won the title. You know, like it, it is literally just. Why wasn't Steph Curry as good? Okay, this is it. Um, but I wonder, and I have this is something I haven't even thought about. But I wonder if I go back and watch the tape, if his body language is different because you know there there's like swagger is important for basketball players. You know, you got to have confidence. But putting the ball through the hoop is very difficult, especially. You know, like shooting threes, like 23 feet, like it is extremely difficult and it becomes mundane to us because we watch so many games and these guys are so great at it, but it's still very difficult. Go pick a geek off the street and ask him to take a jump shot and and watch how miserable it is. And, And so just because these guys are really great at it, we've been spoiled. Um, and so we kind of take these things for granted, but uh, well, also
0: from from that distance by the way, the margin for error is low. you have to really you know if you're a little if you 're extra tired that day, then you, you're going to miss you can miss several of those it's just by the, by a few inches and that 's all it takes um, yeah so that that's no question and especially i'd argue it's even more important for that state of mind when you are a player like Curry who's smaller and not a water bug you know yeah. and, you know he he needs to have that frame of mind to be able to, you know, compete with the best athletes in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and so much of his development that we've seen is because of his leg strength, because of the, the attention to, um, you know, building up his ankles and his knees and, and all of his muscles in his, in his lower body to compensate for the injuries that he had with his ankles, right? And that's why he has the 35-foot range. And, and his form stays the same. And so it doesn't take much. Like one little, I, I tell players all the time, you know, Oh, they, they say to me, uh, coach, Hey, my, my ankle hurts. I'm like, okay, well time to take it easy. Let's start rehabbing the ankle because an ankle injury, you play on an ankle injury, it'll lead to a knee injury, which leads to a hip injury, which leads to a back injury. Yeah, You know, like the, the whole chain is connected. And so, you know, it, with the knee injury that he suffered, it, you know, it's no surprise that his shot was off and that he, he lacked explosiveness and wasn't getting around Kevin love. Anyway, now
0: we're rehashing last year's playoffs. Anyway, I think we, <laughs> I think we're good. Well, listen, uh, you brought your A game today, uh, and you made me have to get into the flow uh, so I can I can hang. Uh, so great stuff, and you know, kind of fascinating because we had a whole bunch of things we wanted to talk about, and we ended up kind of covering some of that stuff, even though it really kind of was the tip of the iceberg with the MVP talk. So, terrific, yeah. great stuff.
1: Yeah, this is good.
0: Okay, well, uh, we'll have to hit it up again next week, uh, and it'll be a new year. So we'll talk about right. our new year New Year's resolutions, I imagine. Um, So get those ready That's your homework
1: Yeah, absolutely I think NBA New Year's Resolution podcast Sounds like a good idea
0: Yeah, you know It it could almost be novel Like I don't think anyone's going to do one of those (laughs) <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if we can not sneak ours in there somewhere and get it at the top but uh, again thank you for joining us uh, today the podcast has been really blowing up recently and so uh, keep it up keep giving us some likes and all that stuff if you're listening to this right now on iTunes or, or Stitcher just give us some of those thumbs up and comments and uh, you know hit us up on Twitter as well follow Dave uh, at Dave Dufour right oh, sorry Coach it's Coach Dave. Dave
1: Dufour with D-U and the number four and yeah, well, and shoot us questions on Twitter So we, we have some easy content for the podcast
0: Yeah, we love it we will, We'll always love to answer them either on Twitter or in the podcast or both And um, that's it So don't forget sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown We're not a channel, we're a conversation Are you in? Are you in, Dave? Of course